most humans in a functioning society want to be responsible. But what exactly does that look like for small business, and how do you build corporate social responsibility, a.k.a. CSR, into the DNA of your company? Find that out on this episode of Forward Forward Thinking. Hey everyone, I'm Darren Lake, the audio content manager here at Medici. Welcome to Forward Thinking, a podcast by Medici. In this series, we speak with inspirational business owners, brands, and marketing experts to learn from their experiences on the front line and uncover what it takes to build a world-class business. In this episode, Ivy Robinson, co-founder and director of Catalyzer, worked a decade for the UN and now applies her corporate social responsibility, CSR, values to major corporations like KPMG, Deloitte, and ASIC. Tune in on her journey as she explains at the start of Catalyzer's business how she struggled to download YouTube videos off her phone to leverage technology so major corporations can scale their CSR. Here's a few things you'll learn in this episode. How Ivy evolved from being a children's rights advocate to a startup founder, the benefits of supporting charities, how to build your startup alongside your customers, and so much more. Let's get into the conversation with our host, Brendan Hill, and our guest, Ivy Robinson. Ivy Robinson, long time since I've seen you, probably about three, four years. So we were good friends. We used to work with each other at UNICEF. Then I find out that you have a thriving business called Catalyzer. And I mean, you weren't in the marketing or sort of business side of UNICEF. So tell me about the transformation, how you went from advocacy to starting your own thriving business. Sure. Brendan, good to be here. And I think the transition was more organic than it sounds like. So, Mm. you know, my professional history has been in children's rights, international development, working with young people, um, but always been in that sort of not-for-profit space. And what Catalyzer does helps you know, we help companies grow their social impact. And so, you know, I think the transition was quite smooth because I was able to sort of leverage the experiences that I've had in the not-for-profit sector Mm. to work with companies so that they can have better CSR outcomes for the community. Mm. And can you tell me about the moment, I guess, when you came to the realisation that you could use your skill set for good and start your own company? I mean, it's a dream that a lot of people have, but hard to pull off. So can you tell us about that? Yeah, so I didn't start out wanting to, I guess, be an entrepreneur, but I think the problem that we wanted to solve was very real and really needed a solution. Mm. And so essentially the problem that we were looking at was corporates often do a lot of community activities, but can often do them in a non-strategic way. Mm. Um, and what that does is it compromises the sustainability of the program and also the amount of social impact that they can generate. Mm. Now, corporates have an incredible potential to contribute a lot impact-wise to the community. And so, I guess what we started looking at is how could we leverage technology to help them scale their community activities, their CSR activities, and take out some of that day-to-day grunt work to free up people within these companies to, you know, focus more on building strategic partnerships with charities and Mm. community organisations and also focus much more on long-term sustainability. Mm. And so I guess we created Catalyzer as a platform to help companies manage and automate all of their community activities, including corporate volunteering, pro bono projects, workplace giving, crowdfunding, peer-to-peer fundraising, you know, fundraising events, 
appeals. So essentially any activity that a corporate does to support charities or community organisations can all be managed on one platform. Mm. Um, And I think the real value that they get is that their data and reporting is then consolidated across activities. So they no longer have to manually bring all of their data together and try and do a self-analysis and understand their impact. It's actually all built into the platform. So that's what we set out to do. And that's how I evolved from being a children's rights advocate to um, a startup founder. Yeah, nice. And why is it important for companies to support charities? So it's really important for a number of reasons. I mean, look, the company itself gets a lot of value internally. So Mm. by doing an employee giving program, companies derive values like they're better able to engage their employees, their employees are more loyal, and they have greater retention, so less employee Mm. churn. You know, once a company invests in sort of supporting the community or doing CSR, they can start to build, I guess, their brand, which helps them to attract better talent. And Mm. and what we know about younger people coming into the workforce particularly is that they want to work for the good guys. They want to work for a company where they can align their values, a purpose-driven employer. So, you know, that really helps them to attract that sort of driven type employee. They also derive a lot of value when it comes to sort of just internal employee trust. And I think that's really important because, you know, employees are coming in day to day doing whatever their day job is, but they want to be able to believe and support the employer that they're working for. I mean, they're spending so much time there. And so it really helps them internally on a lot of fronts. And then of course, there's the, you know, the big reason why they do this is that the impact for the community is so great. So corporate giving is really collective giving and that's so much more powerful than individual giving. And so Mm. if corporates can leverage their workforce to sort of galvanise and whether it's doing volunteering, pro bono work or whether it's, you know, giving of money, the fact that they can sort of collectively bring all of those individual small contributions together for the community, the outcome can be massive. Yeah. Are there any examples of companies that you've worked with that have implemented the Catalyzer program? Can you tell us a before and after of these guys? Yeah, absolutely. So look, we've worked with some really exciting companies, all really progressive and all really committed to their community program. You know, for example, we work with Deloitte and they always had, I guess, a volunteering program. They always had workplace giving. They did fundraising in the workplace. But what they were unable to achieve was scale. So their internal resources, so their internal um, foundation team, day-to-day were just managing volunteering registrations on spreadsheets. They were collecting donations. You know, they were sort of self-counting data and creating reports. And so I guess what Catalyzers helped Deloitte do is scale that program and particularly relevant because Deloitte has been growing at such a fast pace. So their number of employees has grown year on year. But what they've been able to do is hugely increase the amount that they're giving to the community. But for example, they're able to scale their volunteering day. So one day annually, they have Impact Day, which is an incredible day because, you know, you've got all of these Deloitte resources going out and supporting community organisations and they do an incredible job. But what Catalyze has been able to do is help automate using tech, all of that registration, that Mm. waitlisting, that reporting, that sort of organising people into teams. That has been a huge enabler, I guess, for them to be able to concentrate on 
deeper charity relationships as well as creating a greater impact on the mm. day. So you mentioned using tech. So obviously for early stage businesses, approaching a technology project is difficult. You, know, you don't know where to start, so many options, you get analysis paralysis. In your former background, I mean, you didn't use a lot of technology. I remember you asking me how to download a YouTube video uh, <laughs> from YouTube back in 2010. You know, your team was a bit prolific for asking me for tech help. So how did you go from that point to having this fantastic platform? Yeah, so it's a good question. And I think non-tech founders have a unique challenge mm -hmm. that they face, especially when they're trying to start up tech businesses. Look, for us, it was a pretty steep learning curve, but I go back, I guess, to the fact that we had a really clear problem that we wanted to solve. And I think the tech part is a very critical part, but it's only one part of the story. And what my co-founder and I bring, I guess, is that, you know, you often get asked, why are you the people solving this problem so the two of us bring, I guess, a really good understanding of the space that we're in and the solution that was needed. We have a good understanding of our customers and what they need. Now, when it comes to the actual tech, in the early days, you know, I bought a kid's coding book <laughs> and I taught myself some front-end code and we yeah. sort of helped to put together an MVP that we could start to show around just so that our mm. potential customers could look at something, touch something, and really sort of we could share our vision. And my co-founder, you know, really upskilled herself in sort of agile and sort of managed all the Jira tickets and our mm. whole sprint process and everything like that. So, you know, for both of us, we sort of divided and conquered in that way. You know, obviously, as soon as humanly possible, we got engineers on board to really start developing the product. And I think that is, you know, a huge challenge in terms of finding engineers who are willing to sort of come on the journey with you mm. um, and, you know, from day one, see your vision, just, you know, pencil drawn wireframes or something and really sort of build it and help bring it to life. Yeah. Did you find it easier to recruit these traditionally hard to find people because you were working for a cause? I think we attracted a certain type mm. of engineer. I think we were able to attract people that perhaps had had long careers in corporate mm. and were really keen to sort of use their powers for something that they believed was giving back or had some sort of social impact. And so I think we attracted a family of engineers who were quite unique in that way. Mm. Um, but what that meant was that, you know, we really had a team who were on board with the vision and what we were trying to achieve. Yeah, nice. And so you developed the MVP and you went out to validate that with potential customers. What happened next? You, I'm guessing you did the traditional lean startup loop. Did you gather the feedback and then build that into the next iteration of the product? Yeah. So we, you know, I guess unlike a lot of startups, we didn't build a product until we'd signed our first customer. Right. So we almost co-created our product with a real customer okay. who was a paying customer, which was great. Wow. So that was a really exciting process because I think it meant that the feature set that we were building was responding directly to very real challenges. And it took the risk out of us building it in a vacuum and trying to assume what our users needed and wanted. And so, you know, we bootstrapped from day one and we 
took it quite slowly because we were in this sort of co-creating phase, always validating that what we were building was what our customers actually needed and Mm. was actually solving their day-to-day problems. And so we sort of went on that journey, sort of building a feature set, um, onboarding a new client, speaking to them, you know, understanding their pain points, creating a new feature set and just adding to the product in that way. Mm. And as I've mentioned, you didn't, don't have a traditional marketing or business background. How did you get these early customers on board? I mean, you've got people like Deloitte now, some massive companies. Can you talk us through your sort of flow there? Yeah, sure. So look, we got the idea. We started initial sort of market research while we were still working full-time jobs and I guess took our time a little bit with the market research. We wanted to really validate the market and we really Mm. wanted to understand that companies were willing to pay for a solution to this problem. So, you know, we really wanted to understand the size of the problem and how real the pain was for our potential customers. What we did was we took a strategic consulting project with the peak body in our space and we actually built their technology platform, I guess, as consultants in a way, designed, you know, end-to-end a comparison tool that allows companies to go on and see how they're giving program results compared against industry, against company size, that sort of thing. The platform also enables their national awards program and also enables a lot of sort of education resources and things like that. So that was a really great thing to do because it helped us to, I guess, educate ourselves really deeply about our space. Mm. It also helped us to gain access to some of these potential companies that were having these problems and also helped us to, I guess, understand all of the stakeholders in our space very, very deeply. And so that was great to do. Um, And also it really, you know, helped with cash flow. So that was great and gave us, I guess, some initial funds to be able to embark on the project. But, you know, those early conversations, we really didn't go, it wasn't really a sales meeting at that point. Right. It was more sort of in that customer discovery phase where we were saying, we'd love to think about building a solution to this. You know, what would you buy? Mm. What would you need? And what would help to solve your problems? And really did that very, very thoroughly before we even, you know, wrote one line of code. Yeah, awesome. And I'm on your website now. Very nice, by the way. How do you scale your customer acquisition 2019 and beyond? So I think there it's really about a really solid sales process. Yeah. And having a really strong sort of playbook and really understanding the customers really well. And, Mm. you know, a book that both of us were given by a mentor very early on is uh, New Strategic Selling, which is a real oldie. So it's not really like a cool startup growth hacking type book. And (laughs) it's probably dying away on shelves all over the country. But it was published in the 80s. Oh, good good decade. Um, Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) good decade (laughs) by Miller and Hyman. And what that book talks about is really interesting for us and has been really, really practical as a guide. So Mm. Uh, Miller and Hyman talk about sales as a robust process with really strong qualification for your customers, really strong, you know, I guess, science in the questions that you ask to really identify who the potential customers are. And they also talk about sales being about a joint venture, 
which was really appealing to us because, you know, we both don't come from sales backgrounds and mm. it can be quite difficult, I guess, to start going out selling uh, product. So Miller and Hyman talk about this joint venture where the customer and the seller both get mutual benefit out of the partnership. And what that really, I guess, comes to is being able to identify customers that actually really need your product as opposed to trying to sell to everybody and really being able to take the time to qualify whether or not a customer actually has the problem that you're trying to solve. Right. So yeah, it's it's an old book, yeah. but I found it really, really practical and really, really helpful. So I guess in answer to your question, you know, growth for us is really about following that process mm. in terms of really trying to spend the time to identify who are those companies out there that I guess are com really committed mm. to supporting the community and are trying and I guess using a lot of really manual processes, you know, mm. emails and spreadsheets and really sort of, you know, counting coins and all this kind of thing that's stopping their growth. Yeah. Once we can identify, you know, these companies that actually have this real pain, mm. we know that we can add value to them. And that's where the sale, I guess, becomes a much more mutually beneficial partnership mm. um, where we really feel confident we can help them and, you know, they get a lot of value from the product. Yeah. So how do you get intros to these big companies like Deloitte, for example? How do you get your foot in the door? They're traditionally hard companies to sell into, massive organisations. How do you identify the right person? And then how do you get in front of them? And I'll give you one of my favourite examples that I've heard. So someone finds out who the best person is and then to get in front of them, they find out what shoe size they are. Don't ask me how they found that out. <laughs> and then they sent them one shoe and they said, if you want the other shoe, you have to meet me at this cafe at this okay. time. And it worked. Did it really? It worked, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe I should start buying some shoes. <laughs> so definitely I'm not sending people shoes, <laughs> but... Yeah. Look, for us, it's we try and make it as organic as possible and that kind of goes in line with our sales philosophy, I guess, mm. of trying to identify the right customer as opposed to any customer. So for us, you know, we work with companies like KPMG, Deloitte, um, ASIC, um, you know, some of these organisations are really big and so in terms of navigating to who we need to see, we get a lot of introductions from our customers. Right. So, you know, we're really, I guess, grateful that we've been able to work with these amazing companies and they've derived so much value that, you know, they're championing us to other organisations. Amazing. So that's great. And that's allowed us to really sort of grow quickly without sort of investing so much in the traditional marketing and sales channels mm. to date. In terms of other sort of networks, you know, we've had incredible mentors that have been able to make some warm introductions. You know, we approach companies who we can see are really committed and doing things but don't have a technology platform to date. So mm. there's lots of different strategies that we have, but I guess it always comes back to who can we sort of deliver value to. So you've mentioned mentors a couple of times, so they've been important in your journey. How can early stage businesses get the right type of mentor? I mean, do they have to have that mutual benefit out of the partnership that you mentioned, one of the lessons from the book? Oh, and um, how do they find, yeah, how do they find the right mentor? Look, I think there has to be almost some 
time invested in this because I think there are a lot of people out there who have incredible skill sets and really, really want to help, particularly, you know, really keen to get involved in the startup world. And so we've, you know, spoken to a lot of really amazing people, but whether or not they're sort of the right fit to be a long-term mentor for the organisation is, for us, is a different thing. Mm. So I think it comes down to obviously, first and foremost, like a personal fit. Like you have to be really able to establish a, you know, a good relationship with these people. You know, they have to love what you do and you have to really, you know, appreciate, I guess, what their skill set is. And then for us, it was about, you know, identifying areas where my co-founder and I might have had gaps and then sort of strategically trying to zone in and find mentors to help fill those knowledge gaps. We've found mentors everywhere. So we've found mentors through customers. We've found mentors through, you know, being at startup events or speaking on panels, that sort of thing, people approaching us afterwards. You know, one of our advisors, I would say, is uh, found us, he was a judge in a competition that we were at and mm. our business plan came across his desk and um, we connected afterwards and he's been really a great support to us as we've grown. So yeah, look, we did build an advisory board about a year ago and that again, you know, took some sort of strategic thinking in terms of the skill diversity that we wanted on that advisory board what range of backgrounds and networks did we want to be able to access? So, you know, we targeted people who had, you know, lots of SaaS experience, people who had overseas networks, people who had networks in Asia were able to sort of help us grow into new markets and really people who had built businesses up from the ground, mm. kind of old school way, which was, you know, starting out with a loan and really kind of just building it out. I think, in the sort of startup space, it's a little bit different to how it used to happen, but we really wanted to learn from how they did it, you know, back in the day. Yeah, awesome. And it's been a pretty serious conversation. We're 20 minutes in. <laughs> Not many last. I don't think we've had this much of a serious conversation ever. So you're on to the fun part of the podcast right. now. <laughs> Actually, one other question I had was around your time at the UN. So I don't think I've, I've sold you enough in this podcast, <laughs> your amazing background. So you worked in the UN in Mongolia, is that right? Yeah, Just and China. Yep. And China. What lessons have you taken from the time in China and Mongolia working for the UN into your new business? Look, I don't know that it directly informs things, mm. but I think the experiences that I had working overseas with young people, with young offenders... And then, of course, with at UNICEF with you, Brendan, yeah. has helped me to really get a really good understanding of the organisations that we exist for. So, you know, our customers are the corporates, but what we're trying to do is create social impact for charities and community organisations. Mm. So that's hugely exciting. And I think the background that I had has really helped me to understand the challenges they have in terms of securing long-term stable funding the challenges they have working with corporates, you know, it's really difficult for a charity to establish and sustain a corporate partnership that is multi-year and often multi-tiered. So, you know, often a corporate might say, look, I've got some volunteers and I really want to do something. But for a charity, what charities really want to see is who are the corporates that align with us 
that can really, you know, go deep in the cause that we're trying to work towards and stay with us as a long-term supporter and help us achieve long-term goals as opposed to, you know, one-off engagements and things like that. So I think that gave me a good perspective on how hard it is really for charities to establish those really meaningful, deep corporate partnerships. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And moving on to yourself now, Ivy, (laughs) what is one area that you wish you were more of an expert in in business right now? Well, I'm not just saying this because I'm talking to you, but definitely marketing. Oh, yeah. I think that is one of the areas that we'd love to sort of tackle Mm. with Catalyzer. So as I mentioned, Catalyzer sort of bootstrapped and we grew organically largely by customer referrals in the first couple of years. But now we're trying to expand into new markets overseas. We're trying to, you know, achieve that sort of growth. And what we really need to do is start to, you know, grow our brand awareness and we need to get our name out there and we Mm. really need to sort of start reaching a much broader audience than we can through referral networks and things like that. Mm. And how do you go about this marketing process? How do you learn how to do marketing? So it's been quite organic for us. We've sort of, I guess, tried to use the sort of agile process and we've tried to run lots and lots of very quick, cheap experiments really to kind of get data as quickly as possible so that we can know what areas we want to sort of invest more into. Mm. And so, you know, across the spectrum, whether it's SEO or whether it's events or whether it's content, that sort of thing, we've really tried to, I guess, try to see what response we can get and whether or not that's actually reaching the customers we want to reach. Mm. So, you know, We've got a good plan now and I think we can use the data that we've got to really kind of scale mm. the marketing to get out there. It's interesting that you're very data-driven <laughs> now. I remember at UNICEF everyone was anti-data to an, ex- <laughs> to an extent, uh, you know, hard department to deal with. But uh, no, this is really interesting, Avi. Very impressed <laughs> with your story in the last three years. I can't believe it's been three years since Thanks, I've seen you last. A lot of new developments. It's like talking to Ivy 2.0. Maybe 3.0. Very, very impressed. Talking about marketing tools for a second. Yeah. What does your marketing stack look like these days? And are there any smaller tools, $100 or less? We like to ask the guests if they can recommend any tools that have made a big impact. Mm. Okay. So for marketing, you know, I think a CRM is really important. Mm. We tried a few, but we found that Airtable was excellent. Oh, nice. So we use that. We tried a few sort of bigger beasts when it comes to CRM, but we felt that there was just so much functionality that we didn't Mm. quite need. And so Airtable, we feel, is like a perfect fit for our size. Mm. Um, Let's us do everything we need to. It's got great integrations, but isn't too much in terms of feature set. No, I'm a big Airtable fan as well. Yeah, Airtable's awesome. So, you know, if you can use spreadsheets, you can use Airtable. Yeah. So we use that. We've recently moved our website over to WordPress, which has really helped because we can access now a lot more plugins and Mm. kind of applications and things like that. So that was a good move and has just enabled us to do more. Mm, What did you guys move over from? A self-built website, which was my... As I learned to front-end oh, code. Oh, your front-end coding my, book yeah, for kids. it was my yeah, nice. um, personal project. Mm. So, yeah, that wasn't, you know, easy to plug into or mm. integrate with. Um, we really needed the dev support. So now on um, 
now on WordPress, we can, you know, do a lot more things very much more quickly and much mm. more easily. We use all of the, you know, the canvas and the photoshops and all mm. that sort of thing to do our creative stuff. Our SEO, we've sort of got Yoast as a plugin, that sort of thing. So I think we try and achieve a lot without too many tools, but mm. I think Watch This Space, I think we'll be growing nice. in the tool area pretty soon. Yeah. Excellent. So, Ivy, congratulations. You've made it to the abstract part of the podcast. Thanks, Brendan. I've got a few surprise questions coming up okay. that I'm pretty excited to see your answer to. First question, if you could have a billboard anywhere in the world, it could have text, visuals, whatever you want, where would you put it and what would it say? Right. So, I think if I'm doing it for Catalyzer, you know, I think the market we really want to go into is Asia. Right. which is where we're seeing huge growth interest and opportunities. So, you know, I would build a huge billboard, you know, over Southeast Asia. <laughs> over <laughs> all of say, it? All, and uh, one leg in Singapore, one leg in Hong Kong. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think it would probably be our key value prop. And I guess the conversations that we have are having in Asia is really around people want to support their communities. So, mm. you know, I guess something around, you know, that we are available and that we are tech to help them do that. When you hear the word successful, who comes to mind? Brendan. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Look, for us, there are obviously the obviously successful people, but I think as we've been growing the business, What's become really apparent to us is that while the commercial success is, of course, like the priority and hugely important, we've been trying to also grow a particular type of business. Mm. And it's definitely informed by the organisations that we've worked for, the professional experiences that we've had. So for us, really, that whole, you know, we're a certified B Corp and we're committed mm. to that. We're really very serious about you know, offering people flexibility and, you know, different types of working arrangements. And so what's happened is that, you know, we employ loads, like a huge diversity of people, you know, loads of parents who have, you know, caring responsibilities or other responsibilities and, you know, loads of other people who wouldn't, might get overlooked by a mm. typical corporate. So I think when it comes to success, it's probably someone who has been able to create a business that not only is commercially successful but is able to look after its people as well. Mm. Yeah. And, I mean, you have two young kids yourself. Is it hard to balance running a thriving business with being a mum? Yes. <laughs> I think you always feel like you're doing everything in a rush um, mm. and everything sort of less thoroughly than you'd like. But they're also awesome, you know, like they also really help me keep perspective mm. and, you know, they're just the – funniest people in my life, you know, one's seven, one's five. Mm. And um, really, I think it's motivating when they understand, you know, what I'm going to work every day to do. Mm. And yeah, I think it, it's great. Like it's really good in terms of just maintaining perspective and motivation. Mm. And if you could give a 20-year-old Ivy Robinson one piece of advice... <laughs> What would that be? Are you back in Mongolia or China at this time? 20. No, I was living in Melbourne. Right. I think it would definitely be around 
getting some tech skills <laughs> earlier. <laughs> Start reading so that I, kid's book a bit yeah. earlier. So I think you can learn anything. Mm. And I think we're proof of that. It would have been great to, I guess, have had a much stronger foundation just across the board. And I know lots of kids these days are all getting into coding early and that Mm. sort of thing. I think it's awesome. It's great because it's really that foundation in, you know, being able to download YouTube clips on your own (laughs) Um, (laughs) and things like that that I didn't really have because my background was all humanities and rights and kind of youth work and that sort of thing. And I really had no exposure to the Mm. tech world in my former career. So Mm. it was a very, very steep learning curve. I mean, everything is figure outable, but it was a hard curve. Yeah. (laughs) Some solid advice. You're pretty good at these uh, surprise questions, I must say. Very fast responses. Are there more? No, no, no. No. This is the final question. (laughs) Are you ready for launch? For launch of? Well, you're on the first flight to Mars with Elon Musk (laughs) and the first settlers aboard the SpaceX (laughs) Starship rocket. So what business do you start when you land on Mars and how do you market it to the new Martians? Right. Yeah, so um, look, I think I would probably take a different approach. Mm -hmm. I think I would try and find the broadest market possible. Right. So, you know, for us, we're a SaaS business. We sell to enterprise. It's very specific. But I think if I was marketing to Martians, selling to Martians, what is a very basic need that everybody has? So what's the broadest market I could possibly target? Maybe something like, you know, bottled water, which is Mm. like the biggest scam ever. (laughs) But we would definitely not, you know, we don't want to be bringing plastic to another planet. So maybe something a little bit more sustainable. Or maybe something like some sort of sugar-based food. (laughs) <laughs> kind of hook them, so get gonna, them addicted, get them you're repeat take customers. Plastic, you're going to take sugar. <laughs> that sounds like a gateway drug. <laughs> but something that they would buy and that mm. they would keep coming back for. Mm. So I think essentially something that they need. Yeah, so something that the broadest market needs that was, I guess, the easiest to scale. Yeah, mm. that would be what I would want to do. Mm. Bit disappointed at that answer. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> what were you hoping I would say? Oh, you smashed all the other answers. So I thought it was going to be quite good, but uh, it was all right. It was all right. Brandon. The rest of the podcast has been amazing. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. It's been fun. Let's not wait another three years to catch up again. Sure. And I, yeah, Thanks really for look. Having me. No, really looking forward to seeing what the next three years of Catalyzer looks like. I mean, you're a really, really generous person building a fantastic company that's going to make a big difference and can't wait to see where you take it. Thank you, Brendan. Good to talk to you. And is there anything that you'd like to say before we depart today and how can people find out more about Catalyzer? Sure. So, look, Catalyzer can help any company of any size to grow social impact and help to really sort of manage and automate all of those different types of activities that you do for charities and communities. If you'd like to know more, our website is catalyzer.com. Um, you can find us on LinkedIn at Catalyzer Giving or Twitter at Catalyzer Giving. Amazing. And all of Ivy's resources that you mentioned, you can find in the show notes at metigy.com forward slash podcast. So Ivy, once again, it's been fun. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, Brendan. 
from Medigy, you've just listened to Forward Thinking. Again, I'm Darren, and Medigy hopes we helped you find more insights and tips into your business. To find out more about Medigy and get a listener-exclusive three-month free trial, visit us at medigy.com forward slash podcast. And while you're there, go and check out some more episodes. If you like what you heard, please share a link to another business owner or marketer who you think could get something from this. Also, to help us out, it would be great if you left a five-star review on your favorite podcast app. Last, never miss another episode by following or subscribing to us on your favorite podcast player. See you on the next episode.